The uh, newspaper columnist Ann Landers used to, I don't know if y'all remember her or not, but she used to receive 10,000 letters a month. And typically whenever people would write her, you might have noticed that it was they always had problems that they were dealing with. And so somebody asked her, they said, is there any one main theme or major theme that people uh, write to you about whenever they talk about their problems? And she said, yes. She said, pretty much when people talk to me, they write about the fears that they have in their life. She said, people are just, you know, they're afraid of, they're afraid of losing their job. They're afraid of losing relationships. They're afraid of losing their health. And she concluded, she said, basically everybody is simply afraid of life itself. And as I thought about that, I began to realize you know, that so many of us live in fear and we're paralyzed by fear. And you look around and to be honest with you, we don't have a whole lot, it seems like to me, to be hopeful about. Um, you, uh, you turn on the television and you I mean, we have 24-hour-a-day news cycles. And if you watch the news all the time, you're going to get depressed pretty quick. Have you all noticed that? I mean, it's not like it's just like 24 hours of good news. I mean, you watch the news. They talk about the economy falling apart. They talk about our politicians and the infighting that goes on, uh, the war on terrorism, all this stuff that's going on. And then others of us, we, we look at our economy today, and I know some of you in the places that you work, you've seen layoffs in, in the places you work, and you wonder sometimes, am I going to be next? And so a lot of people just spend much of their lives living in fear. And then to top it off, of course, you come to church and you find out we're doing a series on the end of times. And you're thinking, gosh, is there anywhere I can go in order to find some good news? Well, I hope today that before you leave that you're going to have that you're going to have some good news, that you're going to see that even though the world is approaching, moving towards the end. And I I believe that I believe that's a, a doctrine that we have in Scripture, that even though it's moving towards the end, that that we don't have to be fearful. You know, we can live in light of the end with joy. And how's that possible? Well, today in our passage of Scripture, we're going to see the Apostle Paul was addressing a church in Thessalonica. I'm sure you all have heard of that before. Uh, Thessalonica is in northern northern Greece, and it was an area where people were just becoming followers of Christ left and right. It was a really neat experience there, but but the Apostle Paul wrote them this letter to let them know that, that God was going to come back, that Jesus is going to come back soon, that the world is going, as we know it, is one day going to end. But he said, but even though that's true, he said, I want you to know that you can live with confidence even as we are facing the end. Now, if you have your Bible, I'd like you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we're going to look in verse number 1 in just a few moments. Um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 1. In my Bible, it's page 998. And so it's in the New Testament, so you can turn over in that direction. But while you're doing that, I just want to give you a background information about Thessalonica. Thessalonica, uh, like I said, it's a city in northern Greece. Back when Paul wrote this letter, it was a big-time town. It was a town of about 200,000 people. Paul started the church there. And then after he started the church, he moved on to start more churches. But when he left, a lot of stuff just sort of rose up in the church. Uh, persecution began to take place, and people were being murdered and executed and blackballed because of their relationship with Christ. And so after Paul leaves, that they had to be thinking, and what's going on here? And we decided to follow Jesus, and things aren't getting better. And so Paul wrote them this letter to encourage them. And he wrote, the th- wrote them this letter to say, hey, listen, I-, I want you to hang in there in your faith. And I know it seems like the world is about to end, but even if it is, let me share with you some good news. 
And that is that there will be a day when Jesus will come and he will take care of his people. Now, anytime you talk about the end of something, and, and that is something that we believe in scriptures, that our world as we know it is going to come to an end. When you talk about stuff like that, it can be a little disconcerting. And I, I don't know how y'all are, but I, I don't like change a whole lot. When you change stuff on me, all of a sudden it makes me a little bit nervous. And when we talk about the end of this world, that this is the only world I know. I, mean, I don't know if y'all know about other worlds, but this is the only one I've ever experienced in my life. And so when you start saying it's going to come to an end one day, I, gosh, it kind of makes me a little bit uncomfortable. But Paul shared with people who are followers of Jesus, he said, as the world comes to an end, he said, you, you don't have to live in fear. You can live with confidence, even in days like this. Now, you might say, well, well, what are some reasons that we don't have to live in fear as the world moves towards a conclusion according to Scripture? I just want to share with you a few basic reasons why we don't have to live in fear if you're a follower of Christ. First basic reason, as the world is moving towards a close, we don't have to live in fear, first of all, because we have light. We have been given light. Now, I'll explain this as you look in verses 4 and 5. It says... But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Have you ever noticed how everything is a little bit scarier when it's dark outside? You know, everything's a little bit more uncertain whenever you can't see that well. Um, you know, during the daylight, I can, I can walk through the yard and I can brush up against a stick or I can walk through a spider web. And I really don't, I don't think much about it. I mean, I just kind of brush it off. But, man, when it's nighttime, it is a whole different thing. I, I brush up against a stick and I'm about, I'm about to scream like a little girl because I'm thinking it's a snake. I walk through a, a spider web and I'm like just swatting at my face trying to get the spider web off of me. Um, one of my favorite things is that the, our church office is back here. And it's, you know, it's sort of like in this little remote place. And James, James is not in here right now. I guess, you know, he can't listen to me preach twice. I can listen to him sing twice, but he can't listen to me preach twice. Anyway, when James is over at the office, it is great. We have these shutters when the wind blows and it bangs against the house. And James always gets up and he's walking around and he goes, y'all hear that? And it's when it's, especially as it's getting dark. So y'all, he's, he's a, he is the biggest chicken I know. But anyway, I just want to when it's dark... When it's dark outside, man, it is so easy to get nervous and to become fearful. Now, this is the great thing about being a follower of Jesus. And Paul lets us know, when you follow Christ, he said what Jesus does is he becomes light in your life. He, he removes the darkness and the uncertainty from your life and gives you light. Now, that's what Satan wants to do in our lives. He wants to keep us in darkness spiritually so that we will stumble and bumble all the way through this life. And that's what, that's what sin does in our lives. It keeps us in the dark. Whenever you are living without Jesus, guys, you are going to spend your life in darkness. And you're not going to be able to clearly see the damage that sin and walking away from God can do in your life. Now think about it. What, what exactly does light do? Light exposes darkness. 
Light enables us to walk in confidence because all the pitfalls of life are exposed before so that we can avoid them. And so what Paul says is you don't have to be fearful as we move towards the end of time because Jesus is light in your life and he will he will brighten up your life to help you see the pitfalls of life so that you can move successfully through this life. But whenever you don't walk with Jesus, you're in darkness. Have you ever seen people who just who throw their lives away? You know, they, they throw their life away, and uh, but uh, they, they throw their they throw their families away with affairs. They throw away their jobs because they are seeking after other things in life, and they throw away their health and all these different things. And I look at people like that, and I say, "Good grief! Don't they see what they're doing?" Don't they see that they're, that they're throwing their life away? And I'm starting to come to the conclusion, they don't see it because they live in darkness. And whenever you live in darkness, you're not able to, to clearly see the pitfalls that are in life. Let me give an example. It's a, a story about a family that was just driving through the, they're driving through, through the country, driving to see their parents, and they, they came into town as they were, it was nighttime, as they came into town, they came up to a stoplight, and the little boy was in the back seat, and he looked up at the windshield when they came up to the stoplight. And when you looked at the windshield, it was just covered, you know, like in you know, bug debris. And so the boy looks at him and goes, gosh, look how dirty the windshield is. And his parents said, yeah, it's, it's dirty. And they you know, didn't think anything about it. And they drove on. They drove through town, heading out toward the parents. It was really dark outside. And as soon as they got in the darkness again, the little boy looks at the windshield and he goes, look, it's clean. Now, you know, that's what... That's what darkness does. It makes things that are actually dirty look clean because you don't have light that exposes it. And that's what Paul is telling us in our text. He says, whenever you follow Jesus, Jesus exposes all the dirt and the grime that's in your life. So that you can be prepared for the day when Jesus comes so that you can avoid those things. You see, if you live in in the light of God, you don't have to be fearful about what the future holds. You see, the return of Jesus is not going to be the end for believers. So the Bible tells us. And so we don't have to live in fear. We're told in 2 Timothy 1.10, it's now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now, whenever we allow God to turn on the light switch in our life, we realize that He's not looking to destroy us. God is not bringing this world to a conclusion because he's excited about wiping this place out. He's bringing this world to a conclusion because it's in darkness and he wants to recreate it and remake it to where we are in his light. That's why Jesus came in the first place. To guide us to God. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Now, without Jesus as our guide, we, or with Jesus as our guide, we don't have to live in fear because He is our light and we're able to see the pitfalls of this life. So we don't have to live in fear as we move towards the end of time. Why? Because we have light. But another reason why is because we actually, as we move towards the end, guys, it's not like we just all of a sudden quit and say, well, the world's coming to an end, I just give up, I quit. We, we don't have to live in, in fear because we have a job to do. For those of us who are believers, even as we move towards the conclusion of time, the Bible says we have a job to do. Uh, in verse number 6, if you look there, it says, So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. 
For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Now, we all know that the older you get, the more, you know, your body changes. And I guess, just to be honest, the more it breaks down. Uh, the other day, this is true, the other day we were just looking at pictures and I saw a picture and I was like, who is that? And it was me. And I was, I was like, oh my gosh, what happened to me? And, uh, you know, because in my, in my mind, I'm still, you know, I'm still like 18 in my mind. And some of you say, yeah, and the way you act too. But I mean, really, I just, I'm like, oh my goodness. And I, I looked at the picture and I, I had these wrinkles on my face. You know, old, did y'all take the pictures at Olin Mills? I'm sitting there and they're talking about how they can, they can uh, smooth out your wrinkles. And I was like, yeah, man, baby, do that. And if you can, give me a little bit of a tan. So you look at your stuff and you're like, oh my gosh, the body is deteriorating. Now, because that's happening... And it's going to happen to all of us. Does that mean we should just give up and just eat Twinkies and Ho-Hos all the time? And absolutely not. You know, I, I, want to, you know the, I want to be at least semi-healthy so that I can be productive for as long as I can. Now, there's no doubt that our world is decaying. The world is not becoming a better place to live in. I hate to break the news to you. It's not like, you know, morality is on the upswing. Now, does that mean, because of that, does that mean that we ought to just give in and become perverted like everybody else? No. God tells us that he has a job for us to do. Now, what's our job? Well, Paul points out a couple of things for us. He says you you want to be alert, you want to be self-controlled, and you want to be ready. So you want to be alert, you want to be self-controlled. The word alert means to be watchful. So you don't want to fall asleep. That's the example he uses. So whenever you fall asleep, you're not aware. When you fall asleep spiritually, you're not aware of what's going on around you. And then when you fall asleep physically, you're not aware of what's going on around you. Uh, the other night, Emily told me, said, you kept me up last night. You were snoring when you were asleep. I slept fine. Uh, you know, what I've noticed is that whenever you, uh, when you're asleep, you don't notice stuff like that, do you? I mean, man, when you're asleep, you're just out. You have no idea what's going on. Well, that is the, the point that Paul's making here. When you're asleep spiritually, you don't recognize what's going on around you. You don't have a clue as to what God desires or how God desires for you to live. Paul says you, you have to be awake. You have to be alert. You have to be self-controlled. Paul compares a lack of self-control to drunkenness. Now, what happens when a person's drunk? Well, they're, they're out of control. Uh, they, they lose they lose all inhibition in their life. Now I just I feel like I, I need to say this, guys, and this he's talking spiritually here. But you, drunkenness is a sin, and we need to be careful with that. We need to make sure that as believers that we avoid drunkenness. It is a sin, and it causes you to lose self control. And when you're not in control, it's dangerous. Whenever I was coming home from college, I was, I was driving through Atlanta, and it was pouring rain. I couldn't wait to get home. I think it was Thanksgiving break. And I was coming home, and as it was, as it was pouring rain, uh, I, was, I was flying through Atlanta like I shouldn't have been, and I ended up hitting a puddle in the, you know, there's, right in the middle of I-75, downtown Atlanta, and I lost control of my car. And I, I just started spinning all the way through downtown Atlanta, I did a 360 several times. I ended up in the median, kind of in a ditch, and I didn't hit anybody. It, was, it wasn't because of my great driving skills. Uh, it was, I just got lucky. 
Now, I, I lost control because I lost control. I mean, I was in danger. Now, to avoid losing control in the driving situation, what would have been the best thing for me to do? Been to slow down. It would have been to be aware of my surroundings and to drive accordingly. Now, I look into our text. It says, you are to be self-controlled. That word self-controlled, it literally means to be sober. In other words, know what's going on around you. Now, to know what's going on around you is going to require you to be under the leadership of God. To know what's going on around you, to kind of figure out the times that we're living in, it is to know what God's Word says and then live according to His leadership so that you're not in the dark. So that's the first job requirement we have, self-controlled. The, the next job requirement that we have is uh, really, to, really to dress for the occasion, to dress for success. And so Paul talks about in our text that we just read, talks about dressing, putting on the, the armor of God. Uh, that's true in any, in any area of life. You know, if you're a fireman and you go out to fight a fire and you're wearing t-shirts and flip-flops, it's probably not going to be the best thing for you to do. Probably get burned. Um, if you're a surgeon, you know, you don't come in from just mowing the yard and go and operate on somebody. I mean, you have to get cleaned up. If you do that, then the person can actually end up getting an infection from you. So you want, you want to dress the part. You want to dress for success. Paul tells us that we are to dress like soldiers. He tells us that we are to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, Paul lived during Roman times. And the Roman army, whenever they would wear a breastplate, it would go from their neck to their waist. That was on, that breastplate was on for a very important purpose. It was to protect their vital organs. They were to wear that in order to protect their lives. Guys, we are to put on the breastplate of righteousness for the same reason. It's to protect our hearts, to protect our lives in how we live for God. You know, if, can you imagine going into battle not wearing that breastplate, especially during those times? It's dangerous. Can you imagine living life without faith and a relationship with Jesus Christ? Guys, it's dangerous. There's a man named Christopher Hitchens. You might be familiar with him. He's a, he writes for Vanity Fair quite a bit. And uh, he's a guy, he's, just, he's anti-Christian. He always writes articles about how Christianity is a, it's a crutch people use in order to get through life. He says, we just need to come to the realization that, that we came here by accident, we're born, we live, and we die, and that's it. It's over. In the last few months, Christopher Hitchens has been diagnosed with, with terminal cancer. And a group of Christians got together and said, we're going to pray for you. And Hitchens told him, he said, you're not going to pray over me. And he said, I'll never make a deathbed conversion. He said, I live and I die and that's it. And I look at that and I think, gosh, can you imagine living that kind of life where it is that hopeless? They said that you have no hope, you have nothing to look forward to. Paul also tells us that we're to put on a helmet of salvation. Now, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. And with Roman soldiers, why do you think they wore a helmet? What do you think? Maybe to protect their head? I mean, you know, in battle, you want to make sure your head's protected. It's, it's, your, it's, your, uh, you know, it's where you think. So you want, to, you want to protect your head. Paul says you want to protect your head with the helmet of salvation. Why do we want to protect our head with the helmet of salvation? Because Satan's going to do whatever he can in order to attack your mind. To get you to fall away from God. To not follow him. And what are some of the lies that he tells us that attack our mind? He tells us you're not good enough for God. He tells us that there's, there's no way with all the times that we mess up in life, that there's no way that God could ever redeem and change a person's life like that. 
He tells us that if the only chance we've got is to try to justify ourselves by our own actions before God. Because the Bible tells us that there's nothing that on our own that we can do in order to make ourselves right with God. In Romans 3, 10 through 12, it says, There's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. It only comes about by the grace of God. Salvation is only by God's grace. Now, we have a job to do in the days before Jesus arrives. We've, we've been called to be self-controlled. And we've been called to put on the armor of God. All right, now, now are you doing that? Guys, are you prepared for when Jesus comes back? He says, well, how do, I, how do I do something like that? How do, I, how do I put on the armor of God? And again, I'll just tell you, Village Church, one of the best ways to do that is our small group ministries. Um, if you have a bulletin, you can just look in your bulletin. You know, pull it out, look at it, just see some of the groups that we have. And if, if you'd like more information about our groups, if you, you can fill out that inside section on the right. And just say, I want more information about small groups. And I promise you, I will, get, I will get Matthew to get in contact with you so we can help you find a small group. Now, whenever I look into our text, I see some reasons we don't have to live in fear of the end. First, we have light. We've, we've been given a job to do. And the last one is one I really like, is we don't have to live in fear of the end because, because followers of God have a different destiny. We have a different destiny. In verse number 9, it says, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep... We may live together with him. Now, when Jesus entered into our world the first time, how did Jesus come here the first time? Y'all, this is a question for you to answer. How did he come here the first time? He came as a baby, right? Where was he born? Bethlehem. Somebody back there, y'all, you're answering right on target. You get the gold star. Everybody else, y'all hear that? Baby, Bethlehem. All right, so that's how Jesus came the first time. He came as when John the Baptist saw him for the first time. He said, behold, the Lamb of God. Who comes to take away the sins of the world. Okay, that's Jesus' first time. The second time he comes, he's not coming as a baby. The second time Jesus comes, he's coming in power. Let me give you a, a, a little uh, description of Jesus from Revelation 19, 12 through 16. This is what it says. When Jesus comes again, this is how he's coming. And it's using, you know, it's using a metaphorical language here. It says, his eyes are like blazing fire. And on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is, he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he'll rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, I read that description and I think, this is a different Jesus than we're used to talking about. This is a Jesus that when he comes again, he is coming in power. Now, when Jesus comes again, I, I want you to know, he's not coming here because he can't wait to get a hold of us and wring our necks. He's coming here to make all wrongs right. And he desires for us, before he gets here, to be ready for him. That's why he says, that's why scripture says in 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You know why Jesus went to the cross the first time? Because he loves you. 
He went to the cross the first time so that when he comes the second time, that he can take you to be with him to a place he's prepared for you. Followers of God don't have to fear the end because Jesus says that he has prepared a place for those who follow him. Now guys, Jesus is going to come back again. Now how do we know that? Well, it's because what scripture teaches us over and over again. But if you're a follower of Christ, you don't have to be fearful. You don't have to be fearful for, fearful for a few reasons. It's because we have light. The light of Jesus helps us avoid the pitfalls. We have a job to do. And the final thing that I see whenever I look at our text is we also have a different destiny. Now, as we think about Jesus coming again, my question, as usual, is are you ready? Are you ready for the day when Jesus comes for you? Because there is a day when he will come. And when God makes a promise, he always keeps it. If he says he's coming, he's coming. And believers, we need to be ready. And we need to help other people see that without Jesus, they are doomed. Let's bow forward to prayer. Heavenly Father, I am, I am thankful that you are a God of grace. That you are a God of power and a God of mercy. Jesus, there's no one here that deserves anything from you. Because on our own, we are rebellious against God. But Heavenly Father, I thank you that you give us the opportunity to be ready for your, for your next appearing. And Jesus, we don't have to be fearful of that day. Because you've given us promises that you will take care of your people. Lord, I pray if there's any, anyone here today who is not certain about their future, Lord, may they, may they just take time right now to simply call out to you and just simply pray to you and say, Jesus, today, I give myself to you. Jesus, I place my hope in you. And I pray that you will forgive me of my sin, that you will redeem me and be the Lord and Savior of my life. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your ability to say, thank you, Jesus, that you give hope in the midst of a hopeless world. And I pray these things in Christ's name.